Today on Fifth and Mission, we have an interview with our longtime columnist, Leah Garchik, who is retiring today. She spoke to Peter Hartlob and Steve Rubenstein about her start at The Chronicle, the newspaper business, and what she plans to do next. We'll have their conversation, which originally ran on our podcast, The Big Event, right after the break. From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. So the first voice you hear on this podcast every week is Leah Garchik. There's a story behind that. I had holed up in the basement archive a couple of years ago, teaching myself to use podcasting equipment by watching YouTube videos and feeling overwhelmed. When I invited Leah down to the archive, I hadn't recorded a second of useful audio. But I figured if I get the tagline right, then everything else will fall into place. And I immediately thought of Leah. She's respected here. She has gravitas. Thinking, who would be the Chronicles version of James Earl Jones and This is CNN? From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. When I heard earlier this week that Leah was going to make a big announcement, she'll write her last Chronicle column this June. I asked her on the big event, hoping she'd share some of what she's seen as a writer and columnist since she was hired by the Chronicle in 1972. Here's Leah talking about what she'll miss most about the newsroom. She responded to the question by improvising, but like everything else Leah does, it sounded like the best speech in a Nora Ephron movie. Um, I loved, I, I mean, it took a long time to find this about, for any of us to find out what things profoundly make you love your job but I loved being in a building where everything happened start to finish I loved that the plant on my desk the leaves would start shivering when the presses went on downstairs I loved it took me years to explore the whole building to go down and see the printers and the presses and then go below that and see the um, the printers lying on the rolls of paper as though they were beach chairs just on their breaks but it, it took a long time to explore all that but it was just wonderful that this it, the newspaper was seemed to me so complicated, in a way much more complicated than it is now. Everybody doing their tiny piece in a puzzle. And I learned from just working for this columnist that, you know, what his piece was and what editor that went to and then where it went through the system. But it took years to figure out how all the pieces worked together. And I love that exploratory process that went on for 15 years or so. I invited reporter Steve Rubenstein to help me with the interviews. Steve's worked with Leah for most of her career. She shares so many wonderful Chronicle stories with us, tells us how she became a columnist in 1984, and talks a little bit about what's next. Leah Garchik is an outstanding and irreplaceable writer for the Chronicle, but I'll remember her just as much as a powerful figure in the newsroom. She's vocal when standing up for what's right, always honest and a loyal friend. I think all that comes across in our conversation today. We're your concierge for culture in the Bay Area. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is The Big Event. Well, I'm so thrilled to have you here, Leah. Um, And I just heard some news yesterday that was announced in your column today, the day that this podcast is going to come out. Do you want to share that with us? 
Yeah, I'm going to green pastures. I'm <laughs> heading off into the sunset. I'm kicking the chronicle bucket. <laughs> I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing and find out if there is a Leah Garchek that exists other than Leah Garchek at the Chronicle. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm I'm both sad and happy to hear that because I'm happy for that journey that you're going to get to take. I'm, I'm sad because you're one of my favorite colleagues. Thank you. And uh, I wanted to invite you down and bring Steve, too, because you've known each other for quite some time. Correct, Steve? Yes, I think you're awfully cheerful about something that is breaking hearts all over the newsroom right now. Oh, it, I never was a heartbreaker. <laughs> it's good to hear. I did want to go back, though, and just get a little bit of your history as well for our, our readers, because I've met people who are teenagers who ask me, uh, do you know Leah Garchik? I think of you as San Francisco, like just something that San Francisco produced. And I was doing a little research, and, and, and you came here in the 60s? No, came here in 71 from okay. Boston, but actually grew up in Brooklyn before Brooklyn was hip. What was your first San Francisco memory? What was your first moment here? Do you remember? Coming up, my aunt was driving. I had an aunt and uncle. We had driven cross country, and they lived in um, Silicon Valley, which wasn't called that then. <laughs> and so we slept overnight. I got dressed to come up and look for a job. I remember my uncle saying, you're going to go look for a job like that? <laughs> and... Um, and uh, my aunt drove us up, and we came up 19th Avenue. 19th Avenue, you're not so aware of the hills and splendor of the city, actually. Uh -huh. We went to a place, I bet people who've been here for some time would remember Rosalie's Rentals on Lombard Street, where people went to rent apartments. And then we had no apartments, no jobs. And then I believe it was on that first day that we went, there was an apartment in this little dip of Chinatown between Russian Hill and Knob Hill and we went and signed up rented it and you were you were smitten right away oh yeah we moved here without ever seeing the place so it was really amazing where was your first apartment do you remember it was at Jones and Jackson of course I remember yeah yeah were you were you thinking chronicle newspapers journalism or no 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 I um I it, it's it's kind of fun. I went to an employment agency because I had a friend in Boston who worked for a certain, was called Brook Street Bureau. It sounded very fancy. So I went looking for a job. My husband uh, was looking for a job as a lawyer, but he hadn't yet passed the bar. So I basically was aware that I might need to support us for a while. Anyway, went looking for a job and I got sent on the first day, or this this was the second day in the city, to um, Melvin Belli's office to be the interview to be the office manager. Oh, wow. And I walked into this really weird place with live birds hanging in the famous skeleton in the front window. And, uh, and I talked to a woman who was doing the interviewing, and she said, oh, well, you come back tomorrow. This is, get ready for a, a sort of half Me Too tale, but not really. But she said, you might just walk in the room, and he'll tell you to leave. It was like auditioning oh, wow. to be a model in a, some kind of ad. But I came back. Uh, the next day, and he didn't tell me to leave, and he talked to me for a while, and then he said, well, we're going to be deciding in a week or two, and then I went right back to the employment agency because I needed to be working right then, and they sent me to the second job interview, which was on uh, for a design company, Walter Landor Associates, on a ferry boat, 
And I thought, this is a pretty great town. I'm glad I came here. On a ferry boat? Yeah, the offices were on a ferry boat anchored at Pier 5 permanently. So you turned down a job with a parrot and a job with a ferry boat to come work with us? What? No. I took the job on the ferry boat. It was very glitzy. Everybody was incredibly fancy. They all had proper haircuts and... Um, you know, and dressed to the nines every day. And it was glamorous, and you could eat and smoke and consume all the products that the design company was representing. And after a year, I got fired. Oh, oh there's a story there, oh. I'm sure. Yeah, um, the guy who fired me said that um, he sort of waffled around by, like, this might not be a good idea because your husband's a lawyer. But um, he said, uh, I was making the other girls jealous. Um, because I really wanted to learn the design business. I still am interested in design. So I was asking to come to meetings, and um, and they didn't like that very much. So your curiosity, which got the better of you at that job, is just the thing that you needed here at the San Francisco Chronicle. <laughs> well, my curiosity and um, aggressive behavior. <laughs> well, it sounds like the makings for a fantastic columnist. Yeah. <laughs> It was it was quite an amazing job and a, and a wonderful entree into San Francisco. Whenever there was somebody cool in town, this place had a party for them. I met fabulous people. The women, uh, my reputation on the boat was, uh, I can quote exactly, the day that I tottered in in my hot pants and wedgie shoes with a big uh, tray of coffee. And one of the guys looked up from the meeting and said, Oh, guys, let's get the coffee ourselves, because Leah's one of those libbers. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is also cinematic. It <laughs> yeah. so, was a madman scene. A definite madman scene. So I have to think, working there, you probably started getting some contact with the Chronicle just through your job or in other newspapers at the time. Just that the height of anything in this very fancy place. I mean, it was really a top-notch place. Their clients were Sara Lee and El Italia and all kinds of big companies. But the height of excitement for anybody uh, was a mention in Herb Cain. Uh-huh. And that's that's was my introduction to the Chronicle, realizing the power of that. How did you get here? Um, well, after I got fired... Um, <laughs> I'm quite proud of that, actually, because for whatever reason. But um, my husband, it's it's kind of the the new boys network. It's not an old network. But my by that time, Jerry was working uh, for a law firm um, called True Half Walker and Bernstein, lefty lawyers in Oakland, and. the wife of one of the lawyers was Jessica Midford, and so she had become a really good friend. Rube knows her, too. And she said, oh, you need a job. Why don't you go and talk to my friend, a woman named Marion Conrad, who is very much in the swing of the social people and whatnot, um, because maybe you can go and um, learn advertising. You like words, and I was interested in writing, and Decca and I used to play Scrabble, so she knew that. So I went to talk to Marion. Marion said, you don't know anything about the ad business. And I said, no, but, you know, I could learn. And she said, well, why don't you take a temporary job? Um, I know of a job at the Chronicle just for two weeks being Art Hoppy's secretary. And I said, no, I've promised myself. My husband's got a job now. I'm not going to type for a living anymore. 
She said, you can prolong your unemployment insurance. Let me just call him. So she called Art Hoppy, and he said, can you work at uh, certain hours? It was four hours a day. And can you take dictation, which was always after that a joke between us. Uh, and I said, yes. And he hired me over the phone. Oh, wow. So wow. two weeks. <laughs> For two weeks. And when the two weeks was up, uh, I had such a wonderful time at the Chronicle, where everybody was just the exact opposite of the place I'd come from, where all the guys were mainly in the bag after lunch, and they wore at the time, you know, Banlon shirts that were covered with cigarette holes, and it was just the exact opposite of this place where appearance was everything that mattered at the Chronicle. <laughs> appearance was nothing that mattered. <laughs> And uh, so I left notes all around the office saying, if this job ever opens, if there's a job here, I would like to come back. Yeah. And Art Hoppy, of course, one of the great, great Chronicle reporters and columnists, sort of the Leah Gartrick of his day. No, <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's really oh, sacrilegious. <laughs> I wanted to see you turn colors, just like your lipstick. And I... I'm wondering, what did he dictate to you? He said he wanted to dictate. He would have he would have letters sometimes, and sometimes he would call uh, when he was traveling. Actually, he would dictate columns, whole columns. But that wasn't he. I had taught myself speed writing in college for a job I had right after college. I was it's damn fast enough. I mean, I I've used that ever since in our jobs when I go out. Um, but he always said I. I, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure whether he was teasing me or not, but I didn't know Greg or whatever those formal shorthand terms were. Uh, yeah, well, that was 72? Yeah. 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 So people were still clacking away on manual typewriters. And my favorite story of, uh, of <laughs> harbinger of a career at the Chronicle is the first day at work, I realized I would be, from time to time, making some mistakes. So I went to the office manager, Daryl Duncan, and I said, could I have a typewriter eraser, please? And he said, sure. And they were using those flat uh, pink ones that had a green brush attached to them. Oh, you remember yes. what those looked like. And he gave me a used one. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's the Chronicle. <laughs> oh, the Chronicle was famous for it. When you'd ask for a new reporter's notebook, they'd say, let me see it. And the <laughs> office manager would look at it. He said, you, you've only written on one side of the paper. They'd send you back out in the field to fill up the notebook before you'd get another one. Those are valuable skills we're all learning Absolutely. to be frugal. I bring that through all my life. <laughs> so I, I actually have your first byline here. Um, I think it's uh, a review of Albert Einstein, Creator and Rebel, in your first year, you're already writing. Yeah. I sat next to the book department. This is just serendipity. Uh, Art sat by the window. I had the desk in front of his. And right next door was the book department with this really nice gentleman named Bill Hogan, who'd book, been book editor for years. And so somehow he struck up a friendship. A actually, that surprises me. Um, I don't remember that book at all because my memory is that it was around Christmas time, which would have been two months after that. And he had a whole lot of crafts books to review, and I happened to hear him say, who the hell am I going to get to review all these books, <laughs> like about candle making and macrame? Well, that's I'm a, like Little Miss DIY. So I said, oh, I'll do it. And that 
started writing, but I guess I did even before that. You know, I, I was looking through um, for your first couple of years, and I saw a lot of those craft books. Right. So um, That was my gig. Yeah. And at the time, were you thinking, I could be a columnist someday? I mean, I could, or how did, how did that part of you develop where you thought, I might have the mindset to do something right. kind of like what Herb Cain's doing? Well, out of the worst part of human nature, um, I have to say, because um, I would be here at the time we had a very uh, active bulletin board that would tell when people were moving jobs around. With, that doesn't happen so much now because all the announcements go out via email to everybody. But I remember, I mean, I got to know people, and yes, there were very smart people here, and I admired them one and all. Um, but I also realized that there were some that I was as smart as. And so I, one day I was looking at a notice of somebody's promotion, and I had a bad feeling in myself, and I stopped and thought, what's that about? You know, and I realized that, I mean, this is an admission, that I was really envious. I thought, I'm as smart as that person. What am I doing still being a secretary? I could, I should be able to do this too. I, um, so I started lobbying to be promoted. But I should say also a big step in all this was um, this envious thing didn't happen until a few years later. But before that, I'd been here about, oh, less than a year when Bill German, who was not quite the executive editor yet, not quite editor-in-chief, but he was a managing editor. Um, only because, I swear, only because his daughter was about to have a baby and her name was going to be Leah, he got interested in me. And, and also that we both came from Brooklyn. It was the old boys' network. And so he really took an interest in my career and he offered me, someone was going on leave and he offered me a gig on the copy desk um, to take that person's place, being an editor, and said uh, then if it worked out well I could have a full-time job. And then I said to him, but I know I'm going to have a baby in six months because that wasn't clear yet. Um, so it turned out that I did that job as well as Hoppy's job. So I did a job and a half for the next six months. And then I had to quit. Ladies, listen to this. I had to quit because um, there was no maternity leave if you only worked there 15 months. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. Those and were different days in our business. The newsroom was full of noise and typewriters yeah. and clattering and some of the great legends. Yeah. Some of the great legends were in that room. Uh, that have gone that aren't there anymore. What I love that. And there were people who were so smart in various fields. Yes. And it was great. What was what? Well, how is it different these days? Now it's it's sort of quiet. It, the, things don't clank. They, they sort of clatter a little bit. There's not that much noise. Not there's as much not fighting. Much, not as much arguing. There's not that much alcohol in the third desk drawer. <laughs> How's the newspaper business? The newspaper, we don't even say newspaper anymore. We say print product sometimes. Right, right, because we're a media company, we're, not we're, a newspaper We're digital company. first. Um, I loved, I, I mean, it took a long time to find this about 
for any of us to find out what things profoundly make you love your job. But I loved being in a building where everything happened start to finish. I loved that the plant on my desk, the leaves would start shivering when the presses went on downstairs. I loved, it took me years to explore the whole building, to go down and see the printers and the presses and then go below that and see the, um, the printers lying on the rolls of paper as though they were beach chairs just on their breaks. But it, it took a long time to explore all that. But it was just wonderful that this it, the newspaper was seen to me so complicated, in a way much more complicated than it is now. Everybody doing their tiny piece in a puzzle. And I learned from just working for this columnist that, you know, what his piece was and what editor that went to and then where it went through the system. But it took years to figure out how all the pieces worked together. And I love that exploratory process that went on for 15 years or so. Yeah, I, that's beautiful. I'm sorry. I'm so glad I I, I stopped. It, it, I, I'm I'm the showrunner here. I, I'm supposed to keep the trains rolling, and I'm just kind of basking in what you just said because that's actually something that I feel fortunate about. I'm I'm very much from the moment I got here was invested in the digital side, but I'm so glad to have worked with people like you two, and continue to work with you, and continue to work with people like Kevin Fagan and Nanette who have crossed that bridge because I think that that DNA um, is something that should continue. And even if we become something different, um, I would just love it if this this product has people like you involved. And I admire you so much, Leah. I was going <laughs> to save that till the end. but um, Well, the technology changes, but the who, what, where, when, and why, yeah. and the asking questions and the telling of the story in a straightforward fashion, the way yeah. that Leah is so good at, but that doesn't change. I, and I think that that'll go on forever as long as people are asking questions. But it was fun. Uh, I think maybe one thing that's changed is in the old process of printing, you really felt you were partners with the printers whose jobs were very different from yours. But, you know, if you when I started going out to the back shop, the back shop is where the old pages were made up. That is, um, is, is gone now. We're all responsible. As I said, in many ways, it's a simpler process because we change we can change you and I that right can change a letter on the page but at the time you're you were uh, uh, beholden to somebody who would put your copy on the page and there were years I was an editor and if they liked you they could save your ass if you made a mistake they would see it and point it out to you um, so you befriended all these people I mean some of one of the printers used to give me his kids outgrown bicycles for my kids I'd I love that feeling of community where everybody had a different role, but they were all necessary. Very excited to have found your first column, Leah. <laughs> uh, I believe April 10th, 1984, Personals, Leah Garchik. Just bridging the gap here, how did you get this column? What, what was the process coming oh, up toward the end? Well, I had been, uh, after about eight years after I came, I left Art Hoppy's job, and I became a writer-editor on This World, and eventually I became editor of This World, which is a Sunday section that doesn't exist anymore. Um, and uh, so the editor had, oh, huge power. There were, mm -hmm. two, there were two people that worked 
under me, as they say. I think they both got paid more than I because I had come up from a secretarial <laughs> job. Anyway, that's beside the point. So uh, there was um, a person here working as managing editor for a while um, whose idea it was to have an items column. And the reason was that the paper was very thick and they wanted something that was silly in the middle of the front section. So on page 10 every day of the front section. Um, and then, um, so you were writing your items column at the same time that Herb came. Yeah, so was the, writing his herb. So items the first, column. were you fighting over no, items? No, because the first instructions were don't step on Herb Kane's toes because if you step on Herb Kane's toes, they'll be the back of his hand and you'll be gone from writing a column. So I, I had to write some sample columns. Uh, there were other three or four other people who were actually. Uh, writers, full-time writers who competed for that job, but it was Bill German's decision, I guess. Uh, he's the one whose granddaughter was named the same as mine, so <laughs> I, I always think that's germane. And um, and he gave it to me, and it was irresistible to have my name in the paper every day. So, so uh, Herb, as far as Herb goes, A, Herb knew me as art secretary. He was always nice to me, but I know in his mind I was always art secretary, which was really lucky for me because he, the people that he viewed as competition over the years, he could be pretty brutal too. You know, uh, Rob Morse at the Examiner, or yeah. he, so he he never saw me as that. And if I got, if a local item happened to come my way, I would give it to him. Yeah, I, I'm looking at the. Um the first couple of columns here, and I read them earlier. I'm struck by how the DNA of your column now is in here strong. I mean, it's so assured. Um, and I know it's changed. It's much more local now, and these are much more yeah. na national. I should mention the very first column, Yehudi Menuhin. Uh, there's Who Said What with um, John Glenn, Roy Cohn, lawyer Roy <laughs> Cohn, still in the news, and George Gallup Sr., but um, you seem really assured, and I, I don't know how old you were in 84. You don't have to tell me. Oh, no, me, I could say I was 39. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it almost felt like you had been ready to do this for a while, and when you hit the ground running, Well, Bill you were made confident. me do sample columns for two months <laughs> before he, for the first one. Yeah. Um, but I, I... Did you get right in a groove? Oh, that's a good question. I, you know, I always tell people, Bill was very, he was really monitoring it, and he was kind of a strict monitor. And the best advice he ever gave, I mean, I, oh, how do I say this without sounding like a jerk? I, I always took pleasure in trying to write funny, let's say attempting to write funny. I, I watch Rubes, who's sitting here right now, but I watch him writing his column and seeing the grin on his face as he <laughs> writes. And that's kind of how, you know, I, I remember in school reading book reports and making the kids laugh and what a high that was. But Bill's advice to me at the beginning, which I often think of, is you can't come into the party wearing a lampshade on your head. <laughs> In other words, you know, whatever happens later when the readers get to know you, that's fine. But for right now, you got to play it pretty straight. So what I'm he surprised. said to me, he said, don't try too hard. <laughs> Same thing in green. Yeah. 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 He didn't, I mean, I don't know, maybe editors today would advise people to make a big splash. and But he was definitely not... That wasn't his take on it. Yeah. 
I, I've always felt reading your, your work, I feel like none of it's personal, none of it's negative, and yet there's an insider uh, <laughs> element to it where it almost makes me feel like you're kind of, I'll say a bird, gliding up above this <laughs> event that none of us have access to, and you get this great look at it and let us know what you see without without being a spectacle. Well, you forgot to mention the most important part while also trying to figure out how to make the hors d'oeuvres serve for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) You go to these highfalutin parties, you go with all these, where all these big shots hang out, all these society types, all these people, and you are the most down-to-earth, lovable person that that doesn't that doesn't seem to be cut cut from the same mold as the people that you're writing about. Now, yeah. why? None of that's none of that stuff's rubbed off on you. None of those Gucci handbags and all that stuff, huh? Well, there are some very nice people in that, uh, you know, among the people, let's say, who support cultural institutions and support philanthropic, and uh, and a lot of them who are actually the people that buy the ten thousand dollar tables at events. None of it's rubbed off on them, too. I mean, yeah. they're really people always often say you know well aren't they all fancy and it's not there's the same spread of of really good people spreading from really good people to jerks that you'd find in any <laughs> layer of society what uh what are you gonna miss not writing a column for the chronicle and what are you not gonna miss um well, I'm going to miss my complete access to everything. I mean, my license to be rude enough that if I'm not invited to something I really want to go to and cover, I can call and say, say, uh, which I have, say this makes me uneasy because, um, you know, I'm not supposed to ask for an invitation, but I really want to cover this. Can I come? And I have done that. <clears throat> I don't have that. I won't have that access. Um, and... Um, what I won't miss <laughs> is uh, I was once at Kaiser for a procedure I don't want to talk about. and uh, <laughs> You can and tell this, us. It's just the three of us here. And this, and this guy came in the room, and he said, oh, you're Leah Gertrude. <laughs> <laughs> in the Chronicle. I read you every day. I won't miss that. <laughs> Somebody once said writing a column every day is like taking a final exam. Is it? No. You start off with this big blank thing, and you've got to fill it up. And as soon as you fill it up, you've got a big blank thing for tomorrow that you've got to fill yeah, up well, over, and over and over and over. One of my names for myself is the drivelomatic. <laughs> so, How do you do it? How do you do it every day? It's, it's actually, I think, you know, some days are harder than others. And it's um, it often, to me, a more a, a better column when it's a hard day because then I've got to use my imagination. If I go to a lot of events and there's stuff that has to be said about each, it's less uh, less interesting, I think. Because yeah. I don't, I try to differentiate myself from what Catherine Bigelow so ably does. Um, uh, you know, I don't report on who the chairman of the event was and who did the flowers. All, uh, but um, I try to take a step back. And the most fun is is writing something that's is the challenge of writing something that's uh, that 
the person it's about could see or the institution it's about could see as totally positive and great we got that PR but if someone's a careful reader they could see I smashed them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's fun so you are going to have a um, uh, column going until June, June 21st and on June 24th uh, my husband and I fly off to Iowa in time for the Jefferson County Fair I'm hoping to see the goat competition <laughs> <laughs> Very and eat nice. junk food. You have you have family there too yeah. as well. Yeah, that's wonderful. Any other any other plans? Um, I'm after the goat competition. After the goat competition. Well, one thing. Um, I'm thinking about looking for a dog. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, although we're a dog friendly office, most of the events I go to would not be uh, happy to have canine guests. So um, this is something in my mind that I'm very excited about. And I'm doing a um, writing project for myself, for my family, actually. And I'm going to put aside all the um, all my preconcept and rolling of my own eyes at the things that people who have stopped working do. And I'm going to do them. <laughs> I'm going to take Zumba class and painting class and whatever the hell I feel like. Well, You're going to go through withdrawal, you think? Yeah, I think a dog would help me with that. I do think I'll go through withdrawal. I will miss, I mean, you know, who would you stand up and read aloud your the silliest email you got. I mean, that's one of the pleasures of working. I'll miss having a thought and, uh, I mean, a real strong thought. The, happily, the columns are mixed, so uh, some of it can be cotton candy, but occasionally I write what I really think about something, and I'll miss having a platform to do that. Well, you, you uh, I, I have to say, you know, your real estate is not how I identify you. I have so much respect for you um, as a member of this newsroom, as a strong colleague who, you know, when I was younger and I saw you speaking up at a meeting, um, speaking your mind, working with you on stories and seeing you pulling your weight and just, uh, I, I am very sorry to see you go, but I, I don't feel like I'm losing you. I, I've learned a lot from you, and I, I respect you greatly. I'm going to so. hang on to my desk for a while. Yeah. So I'll be there because there's no place in my house to bring all the stuff on my desk home. <laughs> <laughs> it's necessary to stay downtown. You got a tribute yeah. room? I'm just going to I'm gonna miss you as a customer, as, as somebody who subscribes to the newspaper and, and, and who has you hit my doorstep in the morning and I look forward to you're one of the reasons I go down the steps and pick up the newspaper and open it up and and there you are I'm just lucky I get to sit two desks away from you after I've finished reading your wonderful wonderful column and uh, we've been pals for a long time and Scrabble opponents for a long time and uh, a lot of people do not know something that's very <laughs> compelling about Leah that she is a vegetarian except <laughs> about salami. Yeah. She likes kosher I'm salami. I'm not the which Taliban. Is, which, is the, which, is, which is the complete opposite of it. Now, how did you come to become a vegetarian who eats salami, a salamiarian? For a long time, I didn't eat salami. And then one day, I was just swept away by the passion for it. You know how that is? The heart knows what it wants. 
swept away with passion. Okay, okay. <laughs> for I'm salami. <laughs> oh, for salami. Okay. Well, on behalf of uh, our readers and all of my colleagues, I just want to thank you. Um, I've been reading you. You're you're one of the first journalistic things that was implanted in my brain, and to this day, I feel like I'm being shaped by you. And I. I'm going to miss you so much, but um, I know uh, you're going to enjoy the dog. And, uh, <laughs> and it takes a while to find just the right one. Yeah. <laughs> and the goat competition. And the goat competition. <laughs> so thank you very much, Leah. Any, thank any you. words, last words for your readers or, or colleagues? Oh, I just Eat am, more fiber? <laughs> I'm very grateful to the Chronicle for really my nearly my entire working life for making me believe after 47 years that that firing was only, was their fault and I am employable. (laughs) So, and more than that, um, grateful to the readers. Rube and I talk about all that, all all the time, how one's relationship with the readers, it's like a whole, uh, a whole other family. So thank you. Well, thank you and Rube, Leah, thank you for coming on the podcast. And Leah, thank you for everything. Great honor to be here with you. (laughs) Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.